This week, we are talking fake medicines. You're not. Not. Well, they're placebos. What? It's, it's, it's... They're very real. Very real. All right, they're real. Very, very real. This is actually the original field of neurobiology that I was in. This is what I did my PhD thesis on. Not exactly placebo analgesia, but on the mechanism that would give rise to placebo analgesia. You know how we say we're not tape recorders and we're not uh, cameras? Okay. Well, we are also not just a slave to what we call our nociceptors. So nociceptors are the, um, are the, the nerve fibers that respond to noxious stimulation. And under normal circumstances, if a nociceptor is act, or a bunch of nociceptors are activated, you will perceive pain. Okay? So nociceptor gives rise to pain, just as photoreceptors give rise eventually to light, under normal circumstances. But the reality is, we are also not nociceptors. That is not where it starts and ends. And so you can have a lot of nociceptor activation and no pain. So nociceptors are our afferent nerves. There are nerves out here. So I go bang, bang, bang on my hand, and what I'm exciting is a, is a nerve that's a nociceptor. That nerve is going to go into my spinal cord, and then from my spinal cord, it's going to make its way through a few synapses up to my brain, and I'm going to say, ouch, that hurt. But the reality is, that I can activate those same nociceptors and never say ouch, never feel ouch. Alternatively... I know that there are people who, who have illnesses such that they can't experience pain, but are you talking about you as Peggy Mason, normal human being? Absolutely. 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 So there are situations, let's say that um, I'm really, really cold. Okay? Chances are... You put something that would feel um, burning hot on me in another situation, it's going to feel good. Um, uh, or I may not feel it at all because I'm so, I'm so concerned with being cold. Well, but it's also it's something like when you have a sore muscle, if somebody massages and puts... Um, Pain, you know, puts pressure on that sore, on that muscle soreness. No, um, that, that's maybe slightly different. That's another way of getting, but you're you're modifying, you're perhaps modifying what's happening out at the nociceptor. You're modifying the stimulus. You're modifying the stimulus, and this, what I'm saying is that you can have the same stimulus and the same nerve reaction and a different head reaction. So this is this is a pain version of what color is this dress. It's an old, old story. So the, the first person to really go into this, I would say, is Henry Beecher. Henry Beecher was a very famous uh, surgeon during World War II. And he, he observed a lot of soldiers who are very injured. And he remarked to himself, Wow, that's weird. These soldiers who are injured soldiers on the battlefield who have some pretty bad injuries need less morphine than my patients that are back 
at Mass General. So what's going on there, Aaron? Why does the injured soldier need less morphine? One, my guess might be expectation. Soldiers expect to be in agony and anything short, you'll be out of some war injury, and anything short of wholesale soul-crushing agony feels like... It may be expectation, but a more likely situation is that this is an example of they have so much activation of pain pathways that they have actually activated the anti-pain, what we call the endogenous analgesia system. In other words, you have a system built into your head which is going to allow you to suppress this incoming uh, message of pain. Why? Why would you want to do that? Well, for, I mean, for example, I'm sure that there are systems that suppress my awareness of certain things going on in my body so that I can pay attention like to others. Like, for example, if I was focusing on my butt on my chair, I couldn't pay attention to my buddy Peggy's beautiful face. And if you were, if you were focusing on your pain due to your injury, you couldn't run the hell away. What this tells you is that the only thing going into the brain is not just the, the information from the stimulus. There's a lot of stuff going on somewhere in the brain that changes, that modulates that outside signal. Okay, so that is the general field of what we call pain modulation or nociceptive modulation. Okay, so that is the umbrella under which um, the placebo works. And, and in fact, what we think is happening in that situation particularly is that all this damage, all this injury actually elicits a release of endogenous opioid um, peptides into the brain which then suppress the up the the ascending message of pain. So you are you are basically giving yourself a dose of morphine. Well, it makes complete sense in in the wild that if you are if the the lion has scraped your thigh, you still got to try to get away. So there's this uh, an evolutionary advantage to the animals who can suppress the pain sufficient that they can escape the threat. That's the reason Beecher saw that his, his injured soldiers needed so much less morphine because they had endogenous a morphine-like compound that they were releasing for themselves. The, those folks that were in Mass General Hospital, they were doing fine. They had relatively much, much less pain. And in fact, he saw that even within the, the injured soldiers, the more pain they were in, the more painful that that um, uh, that wound was uh, the the less the longer they could wait before they wanted a shot of morphine. As everyone is saying these days, the brain is all about predictions. You know, you're just what you're really your brain is really trying to do is to make sense of this world so you can predict the next moment and and maximize your chances for survival and. A few other fun things. The, the role of psychology and expectation is huge. And that takes us to this new article that was just published last week in the New York Times. Nowadays, every 
medication, if you want to get it approved, it has to be more efficacious than placebo. Okay? So what you're calculating is drug effect minus placebo effect. That interval. In 1990, drug minus placebo was 27%. So the drug was 27% more effective. And, and this is 84 trials across time of pain medications. These are all pain medications. And in 1990, the average difference was 27%. In 2013, that average went down to 9%. Yes, yeah, so we're talking about yes. that in 2013, real-life, uh, double-blind, experimented, uh, drug company-approved, uh, peer-reviewed medicine. These are FDA trials. These are this is FDA phase three, I think. I think that's what it is. So they're just sort of they're by rote experiments where you're comparing a drug to a placebo. It's all for pain, and the average difference has been cut by a third in in 23 years. Now that's astounding. Okay, what there's even a piece that's even more astounding which is that only occurred in the U.S. That decrease did not occur in any other country. So why, so first of all, that seems to be an effect. It seems to be a psychological effect that somehow is um, associated with U.S. culture. Something about U.S. culture. We, we can argue about what that is, and they have some ideas. But that's an astounding thing. Well, it does seem to me that it's worthwhile to, to contemplate that the U.S. and New Zealand uh, are the only countries wherein drug pharmaceutical companies are allowed to market their drugs directly to the consumer. So that we have, there is a whole marketing industry that is designed to persuade us that these meds will work such that we will request them from our doctors. So that we eat. So we are, we are marketed to expect the drugs to work. We have essentially increased our placebo effect because placebo is based on expectation. That's not to say it's not a right, it's not a real effect. It just means we're better at that because we have this incredible expectation of it. Every drug for whatever purpose has to be compared to an inert control, a.k.a. a placebo. And so one of the interesting things is that they, they have this drug for heart disease that also has a placebo effect. And it only has a placebo effect in people with this particular variant of a, of a, of a gene. You know, I don't think, personally, I, I don't think the details are that important. My hope is that what's actually going on there is that you're modulating your stress which in turn modulates your, your heart disease. Because that seems something that's amenable to expectation. Although we don't actually know what's going on. No, no we don't. But I think that these, these things are so interesting. And, and I think that the what's the take-home message? The take-home message is, is that placebo, a.k.a. your brain and its expectations... Are incredibly powerful. 
there are these pain pathways and they get modulated at multiple levels. One of the things that is capable of modulating the pain pathways is expectation. And we think that, that expectation comes originally from prefrontal cortex, but it gets played out through these same descending pathways that give rise to the, the injured soldiers not having, uh, not perceiving as much pain uh, as the, the patients over in Mass General. Well, you know, now when you think about it, as I think about this now as we talk, that the people I know who are uh, terribly afraid of needles, their anxiety levels shoot up at the sight of a needle, at the sight of it, at the thought of it, at the memory of last year's needle, <laughs> that it really has a tremendous, their discomfort, their pain, their level of misery in the face of needles has tremendously more to do, they spend way more time anticipating. anticipating than they do experiencing the pain of the shot. Yeah, I have a great example of this. My poor brother, I'm sending him under the bus, but um, when he was a kid, he was very um, motion sick. And on airplanes, he would get very motion sick and he would barf. And so he's going on, I don't know, I think my parents were taking him to Europe and he got really, really uptight about it, really nervous about it. He was so upset, he ended up vomiting before he got on the plane and then was fine completely during the plane. <laughs> so yeah, your mind is, your, your brain is, is making these predictions and... Um, and is, is making things come true because they are true because your mind can do that. Um, another example, I, I just read this example the other day that for people that think that echinacea is going to block a cold, echinacea is more effective than um, it, it is partially effective. So you're arguing for voodoo, witch doctors, shaman, and... No, no, I'm arguing, I'm arguing for the brain. Well, I'm arguing that the brain has these pathways and it can enact its own expectation. Well, but now, wait a minute, but let me, so you also know that there is a, there's been recent work where people have been given placebos that they were told were placebos. They were told this has no... It still, it still works. Yes, and it still works. Okay, so how did that... That's that's not an expectation that you will get, that you may get some morphine. I mean, that's, that basically comes under the category for me of, you know, we have, we imbue our life, our choices, and what happens to us with all sorts of agency. We really think that we have a lot to do with what we do. Okay. We really believe that. It makes us feel good. It gives us a coherent narrative for our life, etc. And if psychology has taught us anything, it has taught us that that narrative, that thing that we tell ourselves is going on, is rarely the case. Right. And so another way to think about this is that it's not actually this conscious expectation that is giving rise. It is a more fundamental association. I take a pill, I feel better. Because I've taken aspirin before, it makes my headache go away. Okay, so now I pop a pill, and 
I just unconsciously expect my headache to go away. Even if you've so been told that this will, but even if you've been told, even if you've been told that this will not do anything medically, pharmacologically, chemically to make your headache go away. Well, yeah, but, but if it is an association, then being being conscious of it or not conscious of it would make any difference. Well, but think of this. this you know, like, like me playing a tone and then puffing air at your eye, yeah. and you blink, and now you blink to the tone. Right. I'm just making an association. But this it doesn't matter whether you know I'm doing that or not. But this is why I'm saying that you are... You are promoting witchcraft. I mean, you're saying that if I believe that the chicken... I'm promoting the brain. I'm I, never... We are going to disagree on that, dude. Well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, what I'm saying is, though, if I, you're saying if I, if I, it's that there's no difference between me taking a placebo, a sugar pill that the doctor tells me will make my headache go away, or my taking the chicken bones and shaking it over my head, over your head, and telling you that the headache will go away. They're exactly the same thing. They have exactly the same medical pharmacological value. A sugar pill um, and chicken bones. I think that the idea and this this issue of um, drug minus placebo coming down across time in the U.S. Mm -hmm. would suggest that the thing that led to the placebo was the efficacious drugs that we have on hand and we take on a fairly regular basis. Enough so that we have this unconscious association. That would be that would be my neurobiological take on this. That it, that and that if if every time you shook the voodoo doll you indeed did feel better, then yes, then shaking the voodoo doll would become effective. This is why they call them the healing arts. That it is that there is you know, that all manner of behaviors affect my healing experiences. I've been in various hospitals, the bedside manner of the doctors, the kindness of the nurses. There are a bunch of factors, in addition to, of course, the hard uh, biomedical realities of my condition, but there are all kinds of factors that affect the healing experience. Right. We even, you know, right. it's, it's why like that we are, that, that doctors, one of the reasons that doctors wear that white coats are very powerful. In hospitals, people with white coats make you feel better. You feel more confident. You, and as you would say, your anxiety is reduced when someone wearing a white coat <laughs> walks into the room. Yeah, if, they, if the doc comes in in, in cutoffs and t-shirts, you're not going to have that much confidence. Your expectations will be low. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think that this is a lot about these unconscious expectations. I expect that it is unconscious expectations slash associations that our brain has made. And that's, that's the job that our brain is doing all the time. It is trying to learn a better predictive algorithm for every moment in life. I hope I predict the future better in the next moment than I did 10 seconds ago always trying to make my prediction more accurate in more realms, more generalizable, more specific, more accurate. So is this a... You're the, in addition to promoting witchcraft and oh, voodoo, oh, you're also... <laughs> I know you're not, I know you're not, I'm making a joke. <laughs> but in addition to doing that, but you're also, but you're also I think we were both saying in the article talks, is, is implying that 
there is a healing benefit to excellent marketing. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, let's let's give a little biomedical. Um, let's give a little value or credit to biomedical. So another thing that 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 depend that um, might change the level of response to the same placebo is which variant you have of this one particular gene. Okay, so that if you have one variant, you're going to be a weak placebo responder. And if you have a different variant, you're going to be a strong placebo responder in the pain world. And then when you get all over to this this heart drug, it, it's a little weird. There's this interaction that's that's strange. But no matter what, I think that, that more the situation becomes that we fit into a lot of different categories. That if you want to think, how should I treat Aaron Freeman for... A broken leg, the pain due to a broken leg. Well, it depends on your experience with drugs. It it depends on your this variant in this gene that we've identified that somebody's identified, and it probably depends on about 10, 20, 30 other variants that we haven't yet identified. So all of these things come into play, and we get into this very personalized situation that people are very excited about. That that the treatment for you it depends on you. It depends on both biomedical and more psychological experiential um, particulars about you. So I suppose really the, the, the one way to think about the positive takeaway, the sciencey and optimistic takeaway from this is that we have, we as individuals have more control more to do, more to say about the pain we experience than we might have otherwise known or understood without the I, research. I think this is a this is a like way to go, brain. You are super powerful. Let us all bow down to you. You are super. This is a like way to go, brain. You are super powerful. Let us all bow down to you. You are super super powerful. That's my takeaway. Well, my takeaway is way to go, Peggy. You are more powerful and more brilliant than any of us have ever imagined. And we are all delighted that you join us here. On, even all the way from France. All the way from gay Paris. Bonsoir, bonsoir, tout le monde. <laughs>